This is section 31 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today, by Mark Twain and C. D. Warner. Chapter 31. She, the gracious lady, yet no pains did spare to do him ease or do him remedy. Many restoratives of virtues rare and costly cordials she did apply to mitigate his stubborn malady. Spencer's Fairy Queens. Mr. Henry Brierly was exceedingly busy in New York, so he wrote Colonel Sellers, but he would drop everything and go to Washington. The Colonel believed that Harry was the prince of lobbyists, a little too sanguine, maybe, and given to speculation, but then he knew everybody. The Columbus River navigation scheme was got through almost entirely by his aid. He was needed now to help through another scheme, a benevolent scheme in which Colonel Sellers, through the Hawkinses, had a deep interest. "'I don't care, you know,' he wrote to Harry, "'so much about the Negroes, but if the government will buy this land, it will set up the Hawkins family, make Laura an heiress, and I shouldn't wonder if Beriah Sellers would set up his carriage again.' Dilworthy looks at it different, of course. He's all for philanthropy, for benefiting the colored race. There's old Balsam was in the interior, used to be the Reverend Orson Balsam of Iowa. He's made the riffle on the Injun, great Injun pacificator and land dealer. Balaam's got the Injun to himself, and I suppose that Senator Dilworthy feels that there is nothing left him but the colored man. I do reckon he is the best friend the colored man has got in Washington." Though Harry was in a hurry to reach Washington, he stopped in Philadelphia, and prolonged his visit day after day, greatly to the detriment of his business both in New York and Washington. The society at the Boltons might have been a valid excuse for neglecting business much more important than his. Philip was there. He was a partner with Mr. Bolton now in the new coal venture, concerning which there was much to be arranged in preparation for the spring work and Philip lingered week after week in the hospitable house. Alice was making a winter visit. Ruth only went to town twice a week to attend lectures, and the household was quite to Mr. Bolton's taste, for he liked the cheer of company and something going on evenings. Harry was cordially asked to bring his traveling bag there, and he did not need urging to do so. Not even the thought of seeing Laura at the Capitol made him restless in the society of the two young ladies, Two birds in hand are worth one in the bush, certainly. Philip was at home. He sometimes wished he were not so much so. He felt that too much or not enough was taken for granted. Ruth had met him, when he first came, with a cordial frankness, and her manner continued entirely unrestrained. She neither sought his company nor avoided it, and this perfectly level treatment irritated him more than any other could have done. It was impossible to advance much in love-making with one who offered no obstacles, had no concealments and no embarrassments, and whom any approach to sentimentality would be quite likely to set into a fit of laughter. "'Why, Phil,' she would say, "'what puts you in the dumps to-day? You are as solemn as the upper bench in meeting. I shall have to call Alice to raise your spirits. My presence seems to depress you.' "'It's not your presence, but your absence when you are present,' began Philip, dolefully, with the idea that he was saying a rather deep thing. "'But you don't understand me. No, I confess I cannot. 
if you really are so low as to think i am absent when i am present it's a frightful case of aberration i shall ask father to bring out dr jackson does alice appear to be present when she is absent alice has some human feeling anyway she cares for something besides musty books and dry bones i think ruth when i die said philip intending to be very grim and sarcastic i'll leave you my skeleton you might like that it might be more cheerful than you are at times ruth replied with a laugh but you mustn't do it without consulting alice she might not like it i don't know why you should bring alice up on every occasion do you think i am in love with her oh, bless you no it never entered my head are you the thought of philip sterling in love is too comical i thought you were only in love with the ilium coal-mine which you and father talk about half the time this is a specimen of philip's wooing confound the girl he would say to himself why does she never tease harry and that young shepley who comes here how differently alice treated him she at least never mocked him and it was a relief to talk with one who had some sympathy with him and he did talk to her by the hour about ruth the blundering fellow poured all his doubts and anxieties into her ear as if she had been the impassive occupant of one of those little wooden confessionals in the cathedral on logan square has a confessor if she is young and pretty any feeling does it mend the matter by calling her your sister philip called alice his good sister and talked to her about love and marriage meaning ruth as if sisters could by no possibility have any personal concern in such things did ruth ever speak of him did she think Ruth cared for him? Did Ruth care for anybody at Fallkill? Did she care for anything except her profession? And so on. Alice was loyal to Ruth, and if she knew anything she did not betray her friend. She did not, at any rate, give Philip too much encouragement. What woman under the circumstances would? I can tell you one thing, Philip, she said. If ever Ruth Bolton loves, it will be with her whole soul in a depth of passion that will sweep everything before it and surprise even herself a remark that did not much console philip who imagined that only some grand heroism could unlock the sweetness of such a heart and philip feared that he wasn't a hero he did not know out of what materials a woman can construct a hero when she is in the creative mood harry skipped into this society with his usual lightness and gaiety his good nature was inexhaustible and though he liked to relate his own exploits he had a little tact in adapting himself to the tastes of his hearers he was not long in finding out that alice liked to hear about philip and harry launched out into the career of his friend in the west with a prodigality of invention that would have astonished the chief actor he was the most generous fellow in the world and picturesque conversation was the one thing in which he never was bankrupt with mr bolton he was the serious man of business enjoying the confidence of many of the moneyed men in new york whom mr bolton knew and engaged with them in railway schemes and government contracts philip who had so long known harry never could make up his mind that harry did not himself believe that he was a chief actor in all these large operations of which he talked so much harry did not neglect to endeavor to make himself agreeable to mrs bolton by paying great attention to the children and by professing the warmest interest in the friend's faith it always seemed to him the most peaceful religion he thought it must be much easier to live by an internal light 
and by a lot of outward rules. He had a dear Quaker aunt in Providence, of whom Mrs. Bolton constantly reminded him. He insisted upon going with Mrs. Bolton and the children to the friends' meeting on first day, when Ruth and Alice and Philip, world's people, went to a church in town, and he sat through the hour of silence with his hat on, in most exemplary patience. In short, this amazing actor succeeded so well with Mrs. Bolton, that she said to Philip one day, "'Thy friend, Henry Brierly, appears to be a very worldly-minded young man. Does he believe in anything?' "'Oh, yes,' said Philip, laughing. "'He believes in more things than any other person I ever saw.' To Ruth, Harry seemed to be very congenial. He was never moody for one thing, but lent himself with alacrity to whatever his fancy was. He was gay or grave as the need might be. No one apparently could enter more fully into her plans for an independent career. "'My father,' said Harry, "'was bred a physician, and practiced a little before he went into Wall Street. I always had a leaning to the study. There was a skeleton hanging in the closet of my father's study when I was a boy, that I used to dress up in old clothes. Oh, I got quite familiar with the human frame.' "'You must have,' said Philip. "'Was that where you learned to play the bones?' He is a master of those musical instruments, Ruth. He plays well enough to go on the stage. Philip hates science of any kind and steady application, retorted Harry. He didn't fancy Philip's banter, and when the latter had gone out, and Ruth asked, Why don't you take up medicine, Mr. Brierly? Harry said, I have it in mind. I believe I would begin attending lectures this winter if it weren't for being wanted in Washington but medicine is particularly women's province why so asked ruth rather amused well the treatment of disease is a good deal a matter of sympathy a woman's intuition is better than a man's nobody knows anything really you know and a woman can guess a good deal nearer than a man you are very complimentary to my sex but said harry frankly i should want to choose my doctor an ugly woman would ruin me the disease would be sure to strike in and kill me at sight of her. I think a pretty physician with engaging manners would coax a fellow to live through almost anything. I'm afraid you are a scoffer, Mr. Brierly. On the contrary, I am quite sincere. Wasn't it old what's-his-name that said only the beautiful is useful? Whether Ruth was anything more than diverted with Harry's company, Philip could not determine. He scorned, at any rate, to advance his own interest by any disparaging communications about Harry, both because he could not help liking the fellow himself, and because he may have known that he could not more surely create a sympathy for him in Ruth's mind. That Ruth was in no danger of any serious impression he felt pretty sure, felt certain of it, when he reflected upon her severe occupation with her profession. Hang it, he would say to himself. She is nothing but pure intellect, anyway. And he only felt uncertain of it when she was in one of her moods of raillery, with mocking mischief in her eyes. At such times she seemed to prefer Harry's society to his. When Philip was miserable about this, he always took refuge with Alice, who was never moody, and who generally laughed him out of his sentimental nonsense. He felt at his ease with Alice, and was never in want of something to talk about and he could not account for the fact that he was so often dull with Ruth, with whom, of all persons in the world, he wanted to appear at his best. Harry was entirely satisfied with his own situation. 
a bird of passage is always at its ease having no house to build and no responsibility he talked freely with philip about ruth an almighty fine girl he said but what the deuce she wanted to study medicine for he couldn't see there was a concert one night at the musical fund hall and the four had arranged to go in and return by the germantown cars it was philip's plan who had engaged the seats and promised himself an evening with ruth walking with her sitting by her in the hall and enjoying the feeling of protecting that a man always has of a woman in a public place he was fond of music too in a sympathetic way at least he knew that ruth's delight in it would be enough for him perhaps he meant to take advantage of the occasion to say some very serious things his love for ruth was no secret to mrs bolton and he felt almost sure that he should have no opposition in the family mrs bolton had been cautious in what she said but philip inferred everything from her reply to his own questions one day has thee ever spoken thy mind to ruth why shouldn't he speak his mind and end his doubts ruth had been more tricksy than usual that day and in a flow of spirits quite inconsistent it would seem in a young lady devoted to grave studies had ruth a premonition of philip's intention in his manner it may be for when the girls came downstairs ready to walk to the cars and met philip and harry in the hall ruth said laughing the two tallest must walk together and before philip knew how it happened ruth had taken harry's arm and his evening was spoiled he had too much politeness and good sense and kindness to show in his manner that he was hit so he said to harry that's your disadvantage in being short and he gave alice no reason to feel during the evening that she would not have been his first choice for the excursion but he was none the less chagrined and not a little angry at the turn the affair took the hall was crowded with the fashion of the town the concert was one of those fragmentary drearinesses that people endure because they are fashionable tours de force on the piano and fragments from operas which have no meaning without the setting with weary pauses of waiting in between there is the comic basso who is so amusing and on such familiar terms with the audience and always sings the barber the attitudinizing tenor with his languishing oh summer night the soprano with her batti batti who warbles and trills and runs and fetches her breath and ends with a noble scream that brings down the tempest of applause in the midst of which she backs off the stage smiling and bowing it was this sort of concert and philip was thinking that it was the most stupid one he had ever sat through when just as the soprano was in the midst of that touching ballad coming through the rye the soprano always sings coming through the rye on an encore the black swan used to make it irresistible philip remembered with her arch if a body kiss a body there was a cry of fire the hall is long and narrow and there is only one place of egress instantly the audience was on its feet and a rush began for the door men shouted women screamed and panic seized the swaying mass a second's thought would have convinced everyone that getting out was impossible and that the only effect of a rush would be to crash people to death but a second's thought was not given a few cried sit down sit down but the mass was turned towards the door women were down and trampled on in the aisles and stout men utterly lost to self-control were mounting the benches as if to run a race over the mass to the entrance philip who had forced the girls to keep their seats saw in a flash the new danger and sprang to avert it 
in a second more those infuriated men would be over the benches and crushing ruth and alice under their boots he leapt upon the bench in front of them and struck out before him with all his might felling one man who was rushing on him and checking for an instant the movement or rather parting it and causing it to flow on either side of him but it was only for an instant the pressure behind was too great and the next philip was dashed backwards over the seat and yet that instant of arrest had probably saved the girls for as philip fell the orchestra struck up yankee doodle in the liveliest manner the familiar tune caught the ear of the mass, which paused in wonder, and gave the conductor's voice a chance to be heard. "'It's a false alarm!' The tumult was over in a minute, and the next laughter was heard, and not a few said, "'I knew it wasn't anything. What fools people are at such a time!' The concert was over, however. A good many people were hurt, some of them seriously, and among them Philip Sterling was found bent across the seat, insensible with his left arm hanging limp and a bleeding wound on his head. When he was carried into the air he revived and said it was nothing. A surgeon was called, and it was thought best to drive at once to the Boltons, the surgeon supporting Philip, who did not speak the whole way. His arm was set and his head dressed, and the surgeon said he would come round all right in his mind by morning. He was very weak. Alice, who was not much frightened while the panic lasted in the hall, was very much unnerved by seeing Philip so pale and bloody. Ruth assisted the surgeon with the utmost coolness, and with skillful hands helped to dress Philip's wounds, and there was a certain intentness and fierce energy in what she did that might have revealed something to Philip if he had been in his senses. But he was not, or he would not have murmured, Let Alice do it. She is not too tall. It was Ruth's first case. End of chapter 31